1: Welcome to the show. How are you today?
0: Hi, Erie. I'm really, really good. How are you tonight?
1: <laughs> I'm fantastic. It is 70 degrees in Boston in February, and uh, I can't complain at all. Uh, it feels like spring, even though I know it's going to snow in two days, but it's still amazing.
0: Wow. Um, I remember those kind of weird fluctuations when I was in the mid-Atlantic area. I am in the Pacific Northwest, and it has been snowing all day.
1: Oh wow! like how mm-hmm. how deep of snow or yeah, how deep of snow do you get?
0: So today it's just been a very pretty kind of fairy tale dusting, and you know nothing more than pretty on the trees, but we have winters where I live, and I'm you know a few hours outside of Seattle where we get four feet of snow for a couple months, and the whole job is shovel the snow and scrape off the satellite dish. <laughs>
1: Oh, yes. I I know that routine far too well. Probably so
0: after what you guys had this last winter.
1: Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. Definitely.
0: Well, you're still in it. <laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, technically, we're still in winter. It's just it's weird that it's mm-hmm. 70 degrees. But, you know, like I said, it'll snow in two days and we'll see what happens after that. Who knows? Yeah. All the all the tree blossoms will be like, wait a minute. Exactly. All the poor birds will get confused. <laughs> It's fun like that. So you you do a number of things and you keep really busy. So nowadays, when someone asks you what you do, how do you answer that?
0: That is a sticky question. And since I've heard you ask this to other people, I have to say <laughs> how much I love that I'm not the only person who finds this to be a sticky question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've gone through many different iterations of what I say, and I'd have to say it depends on who I'm talking to and the context. So, you know, when I'm just meeting someone in passing or I'm in a party, uh, you know, that's kind of two different things. But in general, I don't know if that person cares about what I do. So I try not to be too enigmatic. <laughs> I try and keep it real simple. You know, mm-hmm. if they want to know more, they're going to be the kind of person that asks. But, sure. you know, mostly I started by just telling people I was a writer. Because, you know, the type of writing I do, I do any kind of writing. Mm-hmm. But what happens, Yuri, is that people get really disappointed when they ask, what books have you published? Oh. And, uh, they find out that you're not a famous fiction writer for them to get an autograph from. And, you know, they're just not nearly so enamored with web content and technical documentation. And, um, so I, I stopped telling people I was a writer straight up, unless they are also writers. Mm-hmm. I've, told some people that I'm a marketer, that I help small businesses with marketing and branding, and that keeps it nice and succinct, and it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, Yuri, um, telling people that I'm a marketer was really never an ambition of mine, and it is what I do, but it's not the thing that makes me passionate. Um, So those are a couple of the ways that I handle that. Um, you know, I've, I, I avoid saying the word consultant because, you know, it kind of sounds like I'm full of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's a challenge. Uh, in general, I focus on what it is I do. I kind of move it away from the title and I talk about helping small businesses and then people say, what do you mean? Or what kind of work? And then I can talk a little bit more about what that looks like.
1: Oh, sure. And isn't, and this, I may be wrong on this one, but I've, I've often heard that, when someone says they're a consultant, unless they said, like, I, I work for Deloitte, that's code for I'm unemployed. Mm hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I, I actually don't use the word freelancer.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: if I'm going to choose between the two, I tell people I'm a consultant because, um, you know, people do get kind of disappointed or, you know, you can see kind of the judgment if you're not, <laughs> you know, a consultant with a big company who's doing <laughs> something important. Um, but. For me, I do like the word in the way that it's meaningful because when you're not, uh, and I don't want to say the word just, but when you mm-hmm. aren't focused simply on hours and you take an assignment, go and turn it out, you get it done. Um, when you aren't taking direction, but you're guiding direction, you're mm-hmm. consulting. You are um, being consulted on what to do next. And they don't have to take your consultory advice. Um, but the point is that you're there to help answer questions and, you know, be that sounding board or that voice of reason or that challenge. And every client is different with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, unless it's someone else who practices and who is an independent or a small shop consultant, um, people do have judgments. I don't worry too much about judgment, Erie I, <laughs> you know, I was I was a loner when I was a kid and mm-hmm. like people even called me that as a nickname for a period of time. So I'm kind of way over the criticism and, um, you know, I'm very self-driven in that way. But, you know, since I am in marketing, I'm aware that people's perceptions can have a huge effect on whether or not they want to buy your business. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the word consultant is tricky. The people who (laughs) want to hear that word to be impressed, I'll use it. Otherwise, I
1: don't. (laughs) Oh, sure. So uh, your background is very interesting, especially your education. And I'm curious because I'm staring at your LinkedIn and I see modern dance and classical Indian dance on mm-hmm. some, of, some of the things that you've studied, the, the journey that you took from undergrad and choosing which area to focus on into, you know, what you're doing now. So what made you want to study English and publishing and classical Indian dance in undergrad?
0: Sure, that's that's an awesome question because that was really fun. Um, I went to school in a few different phases, and I actually got my two-year degree at, like a month after I finished high school, um, thanks to the running start program that we have in Washington State, which is nice. awesome. Yeah, and you know, I I took that and jumped into work, and then I quickly found that what I was doing, you know, I I could earn. But, you know, working in human resources at the bank wasn't inspiring for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that my manager was kind of politely showing me the door. <laughs> and so uh, because I think she could see that dilemma, you know, uh, Yuri, where you can see someone who they might be good at what they're doing, but they're not passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I I really didn't want to go back to school, but I felt like I needed to jar myself significantly and so i had the chance to go to evergreen um the evergreen state college and uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the structure there Mm-mm. but it's it's not quite uh the the way that you pick classes and you study is a little bit different than the standard format and so you answer questions each program is a quarter two quarters three quarters with one or two or three teachers and the whole The whole thing is hinged around a question, a series of questions, and you don't have just a definitive answer. You have to, you know, chew at that answer from 10 different directions, and it makes it very multidisciplinary. So part of the reason I studied so many things is that each program is designed to reach across um, English or science or computer science or woodworking or in mm-hmm. classical Indian dance and blend seemingly disparate topics around a particular question. Um, so some of that comes from me wanting to. Study at a place like that, but some of it is actually because I am that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I remember getting to the point in my early scholastic career where I could pick electives and I was thrilled. And it was so hard to choose what to do because I was equally interested in science and math as I was in learning to paint and sculpt. And Evergreen was, it was coming back to that. It was a chance for me to practice many different things. And I was there to change direction. So I decided to pick my favorites, and that was Trees and Dancing. And I've <laughs> got to tell you, I've never been an especially fantastic dancer. Um, it's not—I can teach my brain a lot of things, mm-hmm. but uh, teaching it to move my body in a particular way is grueling um, compared to reading and studying. So I had a couple of key programs that I loved that I stuck with. One was Trees and Humans mm-hmm. with Dr. Nalini Nadkarni, and the other was the ODC Dance Program with Dr. Ratna Roy. Um, I studied a lot of other things, but those were the ones that I kept going back to because the professors were inspiring and brilliant and because the programs were tough, you know, really uh, rigorous and kind of like anything, you know, you get out of it what you put into it, but that's especially true at a place like Evergreen. So when I came out the other side, I had all these things that I had Loved doing, but in particular, I knew I still loved writing and I still loved being out in the trees, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just being outside. And yeah. so uh, my professor, Dr. Carney, she was um, just securing a few different grants so that she could take all of this research from forest biology that she'd accumulated over 25 years and write a book. And so I approached her at the end and said and gave her my pitch and said, would you please let me help you write this book? And so those were some of my first introductions to publishing. Uh, we did a couple of courses together where I designed my own independent studies. And then after I graduated, she was my first client. And I got to kind of take that step into both, you know, at least independent contracting, if not eventually consulting, but um uh, apply both the things that I was passionate about and then try and navigate how do I turn this into a business that allows me to pay my bills and eat um, because it's it's great to be inspired <laughs> I would love to just walk around and spend my time inspired but ultimately I'm very driven to figure out how to pay those bills so that's kind of how that it's a really weird kind of path that I took to get there Um, And that's why there's so many different things sort of constellated through what I studied and, you know, how I got inspired. It was tough to decide even Mm -hmm. at the end. But I knew I wasn't a stage performer. I I could admire the people who had that in them. And I also, as I said, I don't think I was that great of a dancer. Loved it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was not a place where I felt I was going to shine the way that a great dancer shines.
1: Yeah, sure. So is that ultimately how Brain Ripples got started?
0: That's right. Um, You know, Nalini was, she was my first client. And then it was kind of like, well, you know, the book work eventually stops. It kind of goes over about five year period. But, you know, the bulk of the work was done in the middle there. And then it was kind of just all the sustaining administrative stuff, you know, permission requests and, um, you know, all that kind of good fun stuff. And so. Like I said, you know, I had to find other clients, and I had to take a look at what what was I doing, what could I do. I was very, very motivated to work from home for a lot of different reasons, and so I started going on places like Mm Guru.com and what has eventually become Upwork. You know, it was Elance and Odesk and all the different ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had mixed results. I had some mixed results, but I I did get a couple of clients at the very beginning that you know again kind of helped me test the waters build some confidence see what i wanted to do um because i knew that i had already done one type of work and it wasn't satisfying so i was very determined to figure out what was it that i could do that could satisfy a little bit of this need for purpose Mm -hmm. and uh self self self-direction and independence with you know putting food on the table and there's been varying success along the way
1: (laughs) (laughs) sure so while you're going through this process, were there were there mentors you were reaching out to, or books you were reading that helped you, you know, turn this initial book consulting gig into a full fledged business?
0: Um, yeah. I, as far as like the the side of business development, mm-hmm. I'd say my biggest mentor there was actually my husband because he had already made that similar transition a few years before. So. You know, throughout my career, I've kind of had this, you know, co-conspirator to inspire me and see him uh, pursue consulting in his own way and, you know, learn from some things that I haven't encountered yet. But, you know, besides that, I would pick up every single book I could find, everything that was so you want to own your own business or, you know, (laughs) the, the, the bigger ones, the think and grow rich and, you know uh before there were webinars there were you know the phone calls that you call into mm-hmm. um tried Herbalife for a few years got yeah. to like see that sales process um you know I I picked up any book I could get my hands on and I, I've always been pretty opinionated about the things that I read so mm-hmm. some of them I liked some of them I didn't like um I tried to take what works and disregard the rest and then I I also got kind of suspicious um I started to notice that Sometimes people seem to think they've got the formula and they promise it in the title and they lay it out for you. And then you're like, that doesn't actually work for me. (laughs) So uh, while I did look to, you know, other colleagues and peers that I had in business, uh, you know, a friend of mine, she's just got sales in her blood. You know, I I work with her a lot, just telling her what I'm working on and what I'm thinking about to get her to say what or like, have you thought of this? Um, but really educating myself by reading broadly mm-hmm. and then distilling it down. And I, I'm kind of like that in most parts of my life. I'm very syncretic, eclectic. I want to see all the different things, and then I want to see what's the common thread that I can tune into. Um, because, like I said, a lot of people will tell you they think you know they know how you should get it done. But if you look at stories about amazing, successful people – they generally are doing something that nobody else was doing at that time or Mm -hmm. in a slightly different way. Um, So I'm not saying I'm revolutionary, but I am always curious, like, okay, well, that's what everybody else got told to do. What else could I be doing?
1: Yeah. So in a few years later, you then co-founded a company called Running Wild Press. What made you want to co-found a book publishing company? (laughs)
0: <laughs> so um that one, it, it kind of came out of left field. Um, you know, it's it's not that I haven't dreamt like most writers about uh, publishing uh, your own work and other books, but it was not on my radar. And Lisa Kastner approached me and we have her to thank for our introduction. I didn't even know your podcast was out there until she was like, hey, I think we should talk to this guy. Um, and it's been fantastic, by the way. Thank you. So she, she, I've known her for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Uh, we met thanks to an author and editor named K.R. Mullen, who I never met. But he was one of the first people where, when I got bold enough to start sending out stories and poems, he was one of the first editors to write me back with a human response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a rare <laughs> thing when you have a lot of submissions. And it was just a couple sentences like, you know, I don't think this piece is ready. Have you thought about this? And I told him I was moving out to Philly and he said, Hey, you know, I know this person, Lisa Kastner, she's got this writing workshop. You know, I thought, I think you might want to meet her. Mm-hmm. So from that point, we, we met each other, you know, over coffee and writing. And so that's kind of been our foundation of how we work together is, you know, we learned to critique each other's work before we even knew each other very well. And so over the years we've kept in touch trading work and, talking about what we're thinking about. And one day she calls me up and says, I'm, I'm ready to publish my own book. Um, you know, she had worked on a couple of her books, including Jersey diner for a long time. Mm -hmm. And we had talked about its progression through, you know, what editors and agents were telling her, which was often just like, this is amazing. Have you thought about changing this, 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 and this? And it was like, Oh, okay. So they want to push it into a genre. Well, that's not the story anymore. And, you know, hearing her go through that process, and then she, you know, she had turned that corner, she had talked to her husband and heard enough people and hit that critical mass where it was like, I don't need to wait for people to publish this book, let's publish this book. Mm -hmm. And she said, I want to publish other books. And, you know, we talked, we talked at length about the authors that we both know, who are just, you know, amazing, fantastic authors, but also they have... You know three, five, ten manuscripts stuffed in a drawer somewhere mm-hmm. or stuffed on you know some sad computer that doesn't get turned on except once every 24 months somewhere. and those stories get written and people like us get to see them and critique them and then the author moves on for whatever reason, combination of reasons. and after a while you start to look around and think, well, these stories are fantastic. You know, I wish somebody else I find myself telling other people about this great story I read <laughs> in, in critique group. Like, please don't tell anyone. But this is this awesome story I've got to tell you. Yeah. So when she approached me and said she wanted to do this, I I was like, it's about time. And then when she asked me to join her, it was kind of like, how how could I not? Like, absolutely. I want to I want to make that happen. You know, I want to try and see how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, my my professional approach is that, you know, I, of course, I seek to improve myself and to better myself. But in general, what I find a lot of uh, purpose and satisfaction in is raising other people up, shining a spotlight on really cool, amazing people, um, because I'm just ever fascinated and impressed by the different people I meet and the talents that they have and their amazing creativity and i know you know what i'm talking about because you made a whole podcast about it (laughs) so the the chance to work with lisa who you know i really admire Mm -hmm. and to work with her on trying to do that work of raising up and shining the spotlight on really cool people it sounded like fun and Mm -hmm. it sounded like a lot of work and you know if there's ever a person that's worth trying that with that's somebody who you respect who you know is going to work hard so um, that's what really got me to that front door and that was definitely Lisa that opened that door and said want to come play and so yeah yeah that's what got me here
1: that's great so with the the projects that you ultimately publish do you go find the authors or do you let the authors pitch you or how does that process work
0: it's um it's a little bit of both, it has become a little bit of both, but mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, we aren't really broadly open to just receive any submission. Most of our, uh, most of our approach is by invitation only. Mm-hmm. And most of that is capacity. Um, you know, as just a couple of people with a handful of really awesome team members, it's, you know, there's just so much that you can do. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, things like the anthologies, uh, we have regular calls for submissions that we post on our social media channels and on the various, you know, networks that each of us have so that there's a chance for some people to surprise us and to pop out of nowhere. Cause personally, I love serendipity and happenstance and. You know, that, that's the beauty of the internet is that you can cast a really, really wide net. Personally, I'd love to see more global voices because I know they're out there. You know, the internet, <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's how we do that it is, you know, kind of a combination. It's mostly invitation only. And, you know, the invitation only part is because, like I said, we each have a cache of people we really admire. Um, they know people they admire. And personally, although, you know, there aren't, authors I've known a long time that I've reached out to, a lot of the ones that I invite are people who have written and published in various literary journals over the years, and their story sticks in my head. You know, sometimes the ones that really got me were the ones that I know I read that story somewhere, but it was still, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and I don't remember where. So I'm tearing through my bookshelves, trying to find that one that has the cover that I kind of remember with the black and yellow and, you know, trying to find that one story so I can remember that person's name mm-hmm. and then find them on Twitter or, you know, find their website and reach out and ask them, will you please send us a piece if you're working? Um, and that's had really awesome results. And it's so fun to do that.
1: Yeah, I bet. So as someone who spends a lot of time writing and, and reading submissions, what are some like industry rec- recommendations that you hear that are just terrible advice?
0: Terrible advice. Yeah. Like industry common common terrible advice. Terrible advice. Um I think I, I don't know if this classifies as terrible advice. I'll have to think about that a little as we talk. But okay. um, I do think that sometimes people take uh, write what you know, a little bit too literally, um, or, or not creatively enough. Um, mm-hmm. Because yes, you want to write what you know. But I think that, you know, the best writers, and there's plenty of recommendations to do this out there, the best writers conduct a huge amount of research. And whether that's pouring through books and archives, or that's soul searching, or that's actually walking a trail it with their bare feet to see what that feels like in the middle of the night. Um, you know, whatever that research is, it's doing that diligence, so you know, um, you know, I, I guess I, I can't think too much about the specific bad advice that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can tell you, I see certain common and trends and the way that people not make mistakes, but um, don't push their work far enough. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I'm sure. That's good. So how do you balance the the two companies that you're a part of? Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, for one way or another, that one has to get more overwhelming at, at certain times, or maybe both, you know, both sometimes when, when projects come up and you get overwhelmed. How do you balance them back and forth? And able to you know to have a, a normal healthy lifestyle
0: <laughs> that's that's always a good challenge <laughs> um i'd say that uh, between brain ripples and running wild press and at times i'm you know i'm working on a variety of other projects in addition to those um brain ripples because it's my business from the gecko and it's my bread and butter that one comes first so um, and in that case, you know, your question about balance, that actually extends to what's usually three to four clients, because that's kind of my capacity, maybe three mm-hmm. to five at a time. And they each have not only multiple projects, but sometimes they have multiple clients that have multiple things going on. So I'm very familiar with juggling schedules, prioritizing work. Um, you know, I, I have a strong sense of custodianship around that. So I try to be attentive to, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal basis, what's going on, what what needs to get done. And there's a lot of different ways to set your own priorities and decide what's important to you. But mm-hmm. I'd say that, too, does not have a standard, because what's your priority today will vary. Mm-hmm. Um So Running Wild Press, I try to... Make sure that that gets a regular allocation in my schedule, um, usually week to week. And, you know, I have to say at the moment, uh, I've had to kind of step back into more of the strategic advisor instead of the more tactical day to day, just, you know, because I don't, I don't like to do things halfway. So mm-hmm. if I can't give something my hundred percent, that's when I know it's time that it has to, you know, be deprioritized or it has to step off the schedule. And that goes with any client. Um, you know, sometimes clients miss their window. And that either impacts my schedule, or I have to tell them, hey, you missed your window, <laughs> you're gonna have to <laughs> wait another month. And um, that's really important is to learn as you know, as a consultant to push back. Because um, not only do you need your boundaries for your own health, you know, as you pointed out that balance in your life, but you know, I have found slowly, as I have learned for myself that clients will not set those priorities in a smart way all the time mm-hmm. um, and it's not cuz they're stupid or unintelligent it's because they're driven by their own priorities and uh, sometimes they don't plan well in fact a lot of times um some teams can be pretty uh pretty haywire, (laughs) you know, um, I, and I don't mean to insult anyone, but I, you know, if you work with enough different clients and enough different industries, you realize that there's a small rare percentage that just, they've done the work, they've set up process, they run like a well-oiled machine and everybody else just kind of does the best that they can. Mm -hmm. And if you don't push back against that as, as a practitioner, then it will run you right over and you're at the whim of everybody's, you know, fire hose of changing dates and, you know, different people show up and say, well, now it's this. And so you do have to, you know, kind of set that boundary. And like I said, in some cases it's like, no, I'm sorry you missed your window. And so, you know, here's when I'll be available for you next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't like to give people the shut down and just be like, you're out of here. It's no like it, it. I can't do this, but mm-hmm. I can do that. And I think some of of that logic comes from uh, actually now I have to point to my corporate training that first job I was telling you about well not my first but my first full-time right. and working in HR and tax and you know we had some high-powered corporate training for Washington Mutual um, on customer service because when you're like I started in terminations. <laughs> that was oh, wow. my <laughs> first full time job was telling people they had been fired, and then helping them process their final paycheck if they got one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had to deal with some frustrated people and people who didn't know what was happening or people whose schedules had suddenly taken a massive turn. And so that tra- training was, it kind of gave you that boot camp introduction to all right, like, you have to be diplomatic. You have to kind of de-escalate, and then you have to be rational and say, "Okay, I can't meet this need, but here is what I can do for you." And I'm all—I'm not a total people pleaser, but I like to come through for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that—that that is part of what I do is to make sure that I can provide that balance, and so that my customer, my client, is happy. Is that I make sure that I'm not, you know over-promising that I'm being realistic and under-promise, over-deliver. You just say, this is what I can do. Here's how I can meet your need. Or, you know what? I actually don't think you need me for 20 hours on site this week because if I just work these five hours right here, you're going to get what you need and we all move on. So um, helping your client to set their own expectations uh, can be really helpful. And then, of course, I have to check in with myself. I will push and say yes and work really hard and then, Burnout, And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to that in their lives and their jobs. And so it's, it's a constant kind of process of just relearning a lesson I already know, which is you can't say yes to everything, and you can't please all people all the time. And so sometimes you have to, uh, you know, take a cold look at things and be like, well, it might not make me happy and it might not be what I want to do, but I have to make this kind of a decision. I can't take one more project on, even though I really, really love your juicy, juicy project. Um, but I can I can talk to you in two months, um, you know. So I don't know if that totally answers your question, but that's part of how I've tackled that with with the number of different projects that I've had over the years.
1: The times in your life and business where you have felt apprehensive or scared about either a project or moving forward with something how do you approach fear and overcome it
0: <laughs> um, that's a very good question It's, I'm sure it's something that everybody can relate to and uh, I certainly experience anxiety in my life which is a little bit different but you know the kind of anxiety where you know like going on a plane mm-hmm. right and you want to get where you're going because it's going to be awesome. (laughs) But in the meantime, you still got to get sealed up in a loom again and thrown through the air. Um, So uh, for me, things that cause me that kind of fear or anxiety, I, I kind of go back to advice that I got from that friend I mentioned who's in sales. And she often tells me that when she's scared of something, she absolutely knows that's what she needs to do. And that's what she pushes forward on. And I use that (laughs) for myself as well, because Sometimes I, I need to have some other trick that tells me we're going to do this. Um, you know, I definitely look into myself to decide, am I scared or is there is there something that's not right about this? But when it's just, you know, stretching myself a little bit too far or, or not sure if I'm going to make it, that's usually a sign that I'm going to have to do it and find out for real for myself. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's an indicator of what's going to be really awesome. Um, it's just a little twinkling that says, I think this might be worth it and you're going to have to try it out. Um, but you know, that's easy for me to say in a nice, pretty little one minute discussion, but when you're in it, it's, it's very intimidating and it can be very paralyzing. And, you know, one thing I know is that no matter how hard change is or how, you know, stubborn I get when I need to do it, um, you know, I, I do not like to sit still and just wait for something to happen. I'd much rather be proactive and go out and meet it. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that gets back to the very ancient arguments about fate and will and self-determination. And, you know, maybe I have no control over it at all. Maybe I was just going to end up doing that thing, whether I liked it or not. Um, but if there is any decision involved mm-hmm. on my part, then I try and work really hard to, acknowledge and then push on. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So I'm curious then about how you perceive failure and and look at the different times in your life where maybe you've hit hit failure. Has there been one that has set you up for success later on?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say... (laughs) failure is tough. You know, I think that was kind of a two part question. The way I feel about it and the way mm-hmm. I handle it, it's, it's way easier in hindsight than it is when you're in the middle of it. Um, you know, sometimes I, I fully admit that I will get mired in frustration or depression when I feel that I have failed and that's both personally and professionally. Um, but I definitely, I know from the many, many, many times that I have failed in my life because that is life. That the longer that I stay in that place of just, you know, I have failed. I have failed. Um, you know, just that feeling of brokenness, uh, you know, that, that doesn't take you anywhere. You, you can't grow from that. You just stay there. And so even though when I'm in the thick of it, it's very hard to move. Um, sooner or later, my brain is reminding me, like, you can wallow, but you can't stay here because there's really cool stuff to get done. And the to-do list is like out the door. Um, And there is a lot that I want to do. It's very easy for me to remind myself again, in kind of like a cookie cutter kind of anecdotal way. um, Fortune cookie. That's what I meant to say. It's like, you know, change (laughs) is what it is and it has to happen. And there's so many of those that I have read that have been great. Like, you know, if you get started now, then you'll get more done. And, you know, all of those things are nice to say and I say them to other people because in the dark hours, you have to remember those things and then use it to kick yourself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've actually reminded young people, I tell them a lot when they tell me, you know, I'm too scared to do this. My friend's son, I think he'll be a great actor if he wants to be. I suggested that and he goes, yeah, you know, that sounds great, but what if I fail? I was like, guess what? That's life, dude. You're going to fail and fail and fail and fail. And, you know, it's, and I get to laugh about it because I'm not in the middle of failure in that minute when I'm talking to him, but it's not Mm -hmm. funny when you're there. Um, So to answer the second part of your question, um, you know, I guess the places where I can say that uh, a major failure has been of some kind of longer term benefit is Mostly in that way that, you know, when you when you let something go, you make room for something else. Um, when you when you finally decide, you know, this isn't happening, then you get a chance to do something new and mm-hmm. you get a chance to apply that learning and you get a chance to be surprised. So, uh, you know, I can definitely say that making the transition from my first job and deciding that that wasn't going to be right for me for me, that definitely felt like a big failure. I was 22, 23. Um, You know, I, I had been a straight A student most of my career. You know, I was very good at, you know, meeting standards. I was very good at that, exceeding standards. I was familiar with that experience. I was not familiar with, you know, I don't like this so much that my manager can tell, and that's not going to cut it, <laughs> you know. And what do I do now, Miss Smarty Pants? Like, OK, you know, where are you going to go to get those bills paid? And mm-hmm. that that felt like a very jarring failure. Um, and it definitely when I measured it against my younger expectations of myself, the things that I dreamt of the checklist from when I was five, you know, first woman president, astronaut, professor writer. And then there was one more, I think geneticist ended up on that list. And so when you're taking temp jobs at 22, and you're looking around at the warehouse with your fellow temp workers, you're like, okay, so not meeting expectations here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that particular failure, it led me to a get comfortable with looking for my own work and temping, which was the easy springboard into consulting. And the reason I think that's awesome is because my personal philosophy is that the majority of the people on the planet are going to sooner or later find themselves in this position where you're a free agent. You have to find your own work and put it together in a package that gets your bills paid and it, you don't have the, the path that our previous generations had where you stay in one maybe two jobs in your career that mm-hmm. that time is over for the most of us. And so it it was a good failure in that it got me out of that comfortableness and it forced me to think about what I would do next. Um, it also eventually caused me to realize, OK, well, the temp jobs aren't inspiring me. So what am I doing now? And then I went back to school, which, again, wasn't something I felt like I could make time for. And now now it had been thrust upon me. Here was the time. This was the only time. And so I'd say those those big failures like that, where I feel like it's just not happening. And sometimes I have definitely felt that with my business since starting it. Brain Ripples has had great years and it's had some pretty ugly years (laughs) where I wasn't really sure that it was going to keep going. Um, And so, you know, when those things happen, then, you know, it forces you to get creative. It forces you to get scared enough to change. It forces you to. Um, not take things for granted and remember that it, it's all just at will every day and things can change very fast. So, it, um, you know, even though I still get smacked in the face by change and sometimes it's very painful, I'd like to think that I have just a little bit of training in how to cope with that. Um, you know, and I don't say I always do it gracefully, but that definitely is, is how you learn to cope with it, is to go out and try it and fall down and then try again.
1: Mm-hmm. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received?
0: Hmm. Um, well, that's a tough one. And I bet you I'm going to forget really good advice that I've gotten over the years. Um, <laughs> and I, I'd say a lot of times I could point to, you know, the people who I really admire and respect the most because, of course, I'm listening the most to them. Uh-huh. And there's other people where I'd say I can be kind of stubborn and um, don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know that type of advice doesn't really work for me but honestly if i really think about it the best advice comes from a man whose name i only know his first name i only met him once he's a grocer in south seattle and Mm -hmm. his name if i'm saying it correctly is dara and i met him because i was interviewing grocers to publish some marketing materials that were promoting fresh foods and healthy foods in these neighborhoods that had a lot of gas stations and not a lot of grocery stores or Mm -hmm. had a lot of these little tiny grocery stores, but nobody could find them. And each of them were so fun to talk to. And I would ask them, you know, what, what advice could you give me? (laughs) What's the most important thing to you? Things like that. Kind of like you're asking me now. And this man said the most important thing is your health. And he went on to talk about this a little further about what this meant to him. And I haven't forgotten it because it was very simple and straightforward. It was not the answer I had gotten from anyone else. And it's something that, again, kind of like the other things I've mentioned, you have to remind yourself on a regular basis that your health is important. There are times in my life and in the lives of people I love where their health has changed in a moment. And it affects everything. It affects your spirit and your own sense of well-being. It affects all the people in your life. It affects your ability to earn. It it affects your your self your sense of self purpose. You know, over time, it really can. And your your health, especially when your health is taken away from you, that's a brand new challenge in a brand new way. It can really dominate your life, or you have to use it as one more mountain to climb to prove your character so that you can keep other things in your life afloat. But um, I know for myself when we're talking about physical health or mental health or spiritual health, when I negate those things in little and big ways, it impacts everything else in my life. My ability to be creative, my ability to earn effectively, my ability to handle change and to look around and be like, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just go do something else you know, mm-hmm. to rationalize and, um, and to, you know, be capable to, to change and take big risks. And, you know, those things can be scary, and you can still have fun at the same time. You know, you don't have to just slog through it. It doesn't have to just be painful. Um, attitude really can have a tremendous effect on how you cope with things. But um, definitely, taking care of your health. And, you know, I will expand that further into just how you choose to balance your time, how you choose to use your time. Um, like I said, it's, it's always been very easy for me to say, yeah, I can do that. Or I can do that and I'll do it 10 times more. Um, (laughs) but you know, that's all well and good, but there's only so many hours in a day. And what I find is sometimes it's actually, uh, counterproductive to work too much. Um, I, I meet a lot of people who are very hypnotized by frenzy. I, I am not one of those people. I don't mistake frenzy and churn for actual productivity. So in a lot of ways, I found that uh, pushing and pushing and pushing past the point of my health. It's not only does it affect my health and I slow down, but I lose my ability to perform well. So finding that balance, getting up from my desk and taking walks and spending time with people that I love and making sure that I'm actually living my life outside of whatever it is that I've convinced myself is so damn important. Um, So that is definitely the best advice. Most important thing is your health. And everything else can flow from that if you can make sure that you maintain yourself at that, you know, maximum operating configuration, whatever that is for you.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. So, Jade, it's been fantastic to chat with you this evening. If the audience would like to see more of your work and get in touch with you, where is the best way they can do that?
0: Well, I have a website that's brainripples.com, and with an s on the end. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter with Jay Blackwater. You can find me on LinkedIn and um, all the and Instagram. Um, but if you're interested in Running Wild Press, you can also go to runningwildpress.com and find us on all the various social media channels as well. Mm-hmm.
1: well that's great. Thank you. And I will put all of those links in the show notes. Um, actually, I do have one question about your LinkedIn because it is interesting yeah. looking. So it's, it's LinkedIn is it Profinder. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, so you can still find my regular profile, but the Profinder, it's – it's a program that LinkedIn is beta testing, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like a marketplace like Upwork, but uh, they don't handle any transactions at all. So basically, I applied. So if you are, if you have a LinkedIn profile, go up to the little um, icon, the little keypad icon. I think that's where it is. Click that mm-hmm. drop down. It's probably you know work, and then you'll see Profinder. You go there and apply and make sure that your profile reflects one of the services that they currently list under for Profinder. And once they've approved it, then, you know, basically somebody can go on to Profinder, they can pick a type of work or a type of, uh, you know, professional that they're looking to hire, they post a job. And then I, you know, for the categories that I'm in, say, you know, content, strategy, I can take a look at those requests. I can choose to write a proposal and submit a basic bid or just offer a 30 minute consultation. And it's, you know, just a way to find work. Um, so far I'd say um, it's, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of opportunities. I'm not sure how many people are seriously looking to hire that way, but mm-hmm. I think it's a really great opportunity to get to know your market better and see what people are looking for and, and, you know, it's all a numbers game, right? So for every proposal I write, there's just a small subset that are the right projects for me. So, yeah, that's why it looks a little different.
1: Sure. Well, that's cool. Uh, so thank you for explaining that. That's that's awesome. And, uh, and yeah. again, thank you for taking the time to chat with me tonight. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Yuri. It was really a pleasure to meet you.
1: Thank you. Have a good night.
0: You too. Good night.